Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tiger Tiajarajan. He's the CEO of Genpact. This is Technotopia. Did you know that 43% of college graduates are underemployed, working jobs that don't even require a college degree? Imagine if one of the most significant investments of your life, your college degree, only worked half the time. A refund is the least you'd expect. Flatiron School is doing something about this with courses in software engineering, data science, and UX UI design. Flatiron School stands behind its students with a tuition money-back guarantee. Flatiron graduates enter into a career services program with career coaches and ongoing learning. Students who follow every step of the plan and don't get a qualifying tech job offer within six months of graduating are eligible for a full tuition refund. Complete details at flatironschool.com terms. With graduates working at hundreds of leading tech companies, the Flatiron School program is working. Full and part-time programs are available online and at Flatiron School campuses around the world. Join the school that's reinventing education starting with student outcomes. Learn more at flatironschool.com slash Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tiger Tiagarajan. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Genpact. Uh, it's a, a professional services firm, but you're, uh, you have a pretty wide-ranging uh, breadth of experience, right, Tiger? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Genpact is a services firm. So you're basically doing, you're basically, uh, you have clients, you're doing doing work for them, uh, international uh, international folks are, uh, are doing work for, uh, for basically U.S. and I guess European clients. Is that right? No, actually, we're pretty global. We deliver services from 28 countries now, mm-hmm. uh, and we deliver services into about 120 countries. Uh, and we serve clients who are headquartered in about 30 economies across the globe. The U.S. is a big economy, but so is Canada, Japan, Australia, uh, and a bunch of uh, European European companies headquartered in European economies. Uh, but each of these, because they're global global companies, have services to be delivered into mm-hmm. a number of countries across the globe. So that's that's an interesting point. So let's 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 explore that a little. I used to be a consultant, and I remember uh, I remember flying around the world and uh, and quote unquote delivering services. What does that mean now in uh, and I guess a global cloud based environment? Great question, John. I would I would parse that answer into what does that now mean into two parts. Um, part one is can we actually design uh, the way work gets done better, can we actually design it to leverage up new technologies? And that's typically the work of exactly what you described, a consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, while while in the days of the past, it used to be having to fly around every time mm-hmm. and actually do that on site, uh, more and more that can be done through a combination of some flying around, but a lot of work that can be done from a consolidated uh, center of excellence where you have some of those resources available to actually bring those technologies to bear because a lot of those data is available in the cloud and then you orchestrate that and to redesign that and so on. So mm-hmm. that's one portion of the business um, that's pretty much consulting-led, but it's much less having to travel every time mm-hmm. and a combination of travel plus remote. Okay. And, and then the other part of the business is managed services where you actually run operations every day. Um, so once you design and you actually re-architect the process and bring in all the technologies to actually deliver that service, 
You then have to deliver those services every day. And that can be done these days uh, from anywhere in the world into anywhere in the world uh, in a reasonably consolidated way. So typically companies these days provide those services from, let's say, seven countries into 100 countries, uh-huh. depending on the service. What jobs are going to be have, have to be on the ground? What what jobs will will be in the future uh, dedicated to a location? Oh, anything that requires face-to-face interaction with a customer, anything that requires, uh, you know, orchestrating change through a set of people uh, and, and convincing them through that journey, mm-hmm. anything that requires picking the brains of 30 people and getting them uh, to help redesign something, uh, and that could be because you want a new customer experience, you want to improve user experience and customer experience and so on. Those, those have to be on the ground, uh, you know, with, with the people who are going to actually provide those services, have the knowledge, and actually deal with the customer down on the ground. Um, and I think more and more uh, enterprises are realizing that even in the world of AI and machine learning and so on, that is still incredibly important. If anything, I would argue that the world of AI and machine learning is bringing that to the fore and increasing the importance of customer experience and user experience and so on. Well, I mean, if you get if you get uh, smart enough AI, then you really can't you can't tell the difference between a human and the uh, the AI, right? Um, uh, probably yes, John. <laughs> but but, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, what what if I say? that in the end, AI is going to be available to lots of people. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the last mile differentiation has to come from that ultimate user and customer experience, which goes beyond the machine. We are big believers that man plus machine uh, or human plus machine is where value is going to get created. The human in the loop, as people talk about, is where value is going to get created. We are big believers in that. Have you seen a situation where that that's been unequivocally true, where everybody thought, "Hey, let's uh, let's replace this project or system with a machine," and it re- you realize that it had to have a human component because that's that's the that's the only way to remain optimistic about a future workforce if you do see precedence for that. Oh, incredibly, we see we see many many examples. I'll give you two. Uh, let's start with uh, and and both these are examples that all of us can relate to because they're pretty examples that we encounter. As, as regular citizens every day. So think about someone who's had uh, an auto accident uh, and uh, wants to apply for a claim for that accident with the insurance provider that they have a relationship with. Um, and as we all know that it is possible these days with some element of computer vision and uh, AI and machine learning built into that for simple claims to be done without any human touch. Um, and that's pretty cool because you can actually deliver a claim in minutes and hours versus days, mm-hmm. and you can get it done in a manner where the customer is delighted. However, we've actually seen insurance companies use that technology and then add to that a human element. So, for example, think about someone has an accident, they press an app button, that leads to uh, a message that goes to a centralized group that manages claims. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, let's call the person an Uber driver who goes to the location of the site in 10 minutes and talks to the person who's met with the accident and becomes empathetic at a point when that 
when that particular customer is in is in distress. Uh, but in the meanwhile, very quickly is clicking photographs uh, of the of the accident and the car and the various damage that's happened. All that lands up in that central location, and within minutes, the claim is approved. But the last mile and the interaction with the customer is where the ultimate differentiation happens. At the end of the day, the customer says, I love the fact that I got great service. I love the fact that my claim got processed so quickly. I'm going to renew the insurance policy. Oh, by the way, the person I interacted with who made it all happen, uh, John, who came to me, or David, who came to me, uh, I love that interaction. I love that person. The reality is the person actually didn't do much mm -hmm. except was there for creating that empathy and that service at that point in time. We see that happen again and again. Another example would be in the small business lending world. Someone applies for, uh, a small business applies for a $75,000 loan to buy a small equipment for their, for their small, um, you know, let's say auto repair shop mm -hmm. or a small business that they have down the street. These days, you can actually have that done using a machine to actually take the credit decision in, uh, in actually minutes versus spending days doing an underwriting credit approval. However, at the end of the line, you don't want a message to come to you say you got approved for $75,000. You need a human being to first understand what exactly you're looking for and why. And then you need the final approval to be handed over, kind of handed over uh, with, a, with a conversation. That's where we see most value getting created with the middle part being taken by the machine. Mm -hmm. We see that happen again and again. So the so the the this is going to be a machine sandwich, right? So the humans are humans come in in the beginning, in the end, and they uh, and the processing in the middle. Um, how thin does the bread get? I guess you could say if we're talking about this sandwich. How thin does how thin does that interaction get? Great question, John. And I would I would I'm going to hold on to the metaphor mm -hmm. because it's an interesting metaphor. So I'll start by saying the bread can get pretty thin, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like and, a tortilla. Then, okay, I got gotcha. you. To get to take that analogy forward, I guess what you're going to say is, therefore, doesn't that mean that labor is going to become thinner and thinner? Mm -hmm. The argument that I would have is, uh, well, all of a sudden, uh, we can now have a million breads, uh, a million sandwiches, not breads, a million sandwiches mm -hmm. that can be made because now the machine is involved in helping make it. And therefore, while each of the breads and each of the sandwiches have a very thin bread, you now have a million sandwiches versus a thousand sandwiches. So that means the need for bread is going to increase versus intuitively one would have thought, hey, by the way, the need for bread is going to decrease. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. So that, yeah, that I like that. Yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I mean that's 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 one of the uh, that's one of the things that folks have been saying. Say about like self-driving cars, you run out of you don't have drivers anymore, but you do have people who are sitting in those cars who need entertainment and who need uh, education, that kind of thing. So you're basically changing the way uh, we interact with our vehicles. Whereas before you you had your, it was you in the vehicle. Now it's the vehicles taking you around, and you're and you can do anything you want inside that vehicle. So it's an interesting yeah, new world. Actually, John, that's a fabulous point. That's a different point, but that's a great point mm -hmm. because that you're basically saying, saying the interaction and the and what you do in the vehicle is going to create a whole set of new services that again humans have to get involved. I'm actually saying uh, another thing, and therefore the two together will increase the requirement for work in a world where people, some people say work is going to get destroyed. And I was saying the number of people who I think are going to use cars. Uh, it's just going to go up dramatically. I, I came back from a visit to uh, two places, Bucharest, 
mm-hmm. where we have a pretty significant operation in Romania and uh, Delhi in India. And in both those places, uh, over the holidays, I saw people who've never ever used a car themselves, never used a cab themselves, because they don't have the economic capability of doing that, now actually use cars because they found it easier and cheaper and economically possible to use an Uber. Mm-hmm. So what has Uber done? Apart from everything else that Uber has done, Uber has increased the number of trips that a car makes. More people are being driven around than in the past. I think the same thing is going to happen with driverless cars. More people will use cars than ever before humankind has encountered. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be pretty interesting. Well, I guess I, I guess it's sort of uh, it, it democratizes the access to vehicles, Absolutely. which is which is vitally that important. Is, that is the right word. Yeah, democratizes. Correct. What what are some of the proof points? So this is this is a this is an optimistic podcast. We're we don't believe that the world's going to end up like Blade Runner, but I like to have I like to have a little bit. Um, so I like to have a few uh, few proof points to talk about as we go forward. So, what are some things that you've seen in particular that uh, that makes you that makes you look forward to a future where where robots do more work, but there are going to be more humans uh, helping in the in the beginning and the end? So, 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 great question, John. And and I would say first of all, uh, going back into history, and I'm sure everyone talks about this. Going back into history, every time a new technology has come in. Uh, that is better, cheaper, faster, and replaces something old, and replaces something that human beings were doing, invariably, it's led to, first, destruction of the way old things were being done. Uh, Second, it's expanded where those things now can be done because it's better, cheaper, faster. Uh, And a, a great example of that is semiconductors, where the ability to do photography using semiconductors dramatically changed the number of photographs all of us take. Mm -hmm. Well, the number of people employed in digital photography these days is dramatically more than the number of people employed when uh, photography used to be based on just films and chemistry. Um, And the other other example that I would use is in today's world, um, it is, we are beginning to see the the starting point of micro lending Mm -hmm. uh, being a reality. Uh, because you can do micro-banking, micro-financing, micro-lending, because each of those transactions, the cost has become so small, potentially, we're still some path away from there, that it is possible to be able to do small transactions and therefore deal with someone who only wants a small transaction and therefore access a much larger population, whether it is finance, it's education, it's healthcare, just let's just speak those three topics. A couple of billion people in the world will have access. And who are the people who are going to provide that access? People who create those technologies, people who actually provide those services, people who provide the new ways of working. So, so the world is going to be one where a lot more people are going to, going to get included in the services that they buy and use at a price point they can afford. Their, their economic uh, you know, outlook is going to improve. More people will be pulled out of poverty uh, I think a whole bunch of them have pulled out of poverty over the last 20 years, but more will will happen. And a bunch of people who serve them are therefore going to benefit. So it's a combination. So, so if you think about walking into a village in Africa, it is possible today to get uh, medical diagnosis done mm-hmm. without having a doctor in the village. Mm-hmm. That was not possible many years ago. Now, the doctor sits somewhere maybe in the U.S., maybe sits in a more developed economy. 
And that person's ability to access someone in Africa and provide that service at a minuscule of cost or almost no cost. And for that person in Africa to get healthcare benefit. So everyone benefits, the whole world benefits. Interesting. So the uh, so you have 77,000 people uh, working there, I guess, as, as of a few years ago. That's uh, And I'm sure it's more now. What do you recommend people do to get ready a to work with uh, with a company like yours to work within that that, that framework and or, and b just to get ready for the future. Yeah, so I, I think I think uh, that's a great question. It's now eighty seven thousand, John. Uh, oh wow, uh, eighty seven thousand people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I would say it's something that we talk a lot about inside the company. We talk a lot about because it's important for our employees, for our leaders, and we talk a lot about with our clients. And our clients talk a lot about this topic, which is how do you reskill employees for the future. How do you reskill oneself for the future? So I'll start by saying a few things. I think irrespective of what people know and what's made them successful up to this point, it's important to think about the world of tomorrow as requiring new skills. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter who you are. So I spend time learning new things because I think it's important. Uh, so we have a big program going on in the company where we provide opportunities for people to get reskilled. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? It means... It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I have to learn coding. It doesn't mean I have to learn how to, uh, how to code a robot or how to, how to actually execute a machine learning technology. What it does mean is I have to be able to work with a machine learning technology or a robot. I need to be able to work with and help that robot uh, and have it integrated into me in the way we work. So it's, you know, in the days before Excel, uh, Microsoft Excel, uh, how how is that integrated? Today, people use Microsoft Excel as though it's part of their it's, it's part of their regular life. Uh -huh. The reality also had to learn it. So I think individuals have the responsibility of being really curious. So it's one of the things that we drive hard in the company. The value of curiosity is incredibly important, which means you've got to keep asking questions. You've got to learn new stuff. You have to bring. Uh, you have to be really humble, and, and then the company has to provide the opportunity to learn. Uh, the amazing thing about the world of today is that the same new technologies that are uh, kind of changing the way work gets done are the same technologies that we are beginning to leverage to actually teach people. Mm -hmm. So no longer is it, is, it is, it, is it necessary to bring a person into a classroom to teach people. You can teach people using machines. You can teach people on a self-service basis. And you can teach people en masse. Coursera and et cetera are great examples of that. And I think more and more we are driving that across. And I would, I would argue that's probably the single biggest thing. The second one, the second one is, I think the world will make a mistake if the assumption that is made is we all have to learn math, we all have to learn computer science, we all have to learn computers. The answer is yes, but we have to learn empathy, mm -hmm. uh, problem solving, design thinking, um, liberal arts. The importance of that is going to be, I actually believe it's going to become even more important because what the computer can do, will do. What the human being does, the computer at some level will not be able to do. So the importance of that is actually going to go up. Will there ever be a point where, a, uh, where an organization like yours educates from uh, cradle to grave, essentially, where kids are born into a, uh, into a school system that you guys fund that is dedicated to sort of building building better employees specifically for your organization? That is, that is interesting. 
I never thought of schools, uh, but colleges certainly we are already introducing courses, and there are bigger companies that do more of this. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right because if you don't do that, then uh, when people come out of the institutions, they're not ready to take on some of the new work. So yeah, intervening early, providing that opportunity early, and the reality is, I think the the government and the communities and the education systems are beginning to recognize this. But I think everyone needs to come together to make this happen. Mm-hmm. All right. What's, what's, what's the world going to look like in, uh, in 20 years? That's, uh, it's going to look different for sure. Okay. I'm an optimist, Don. I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a optimist. Uh, so, so it's interesting when you describe your podcast as a podcast of optimists. Uh, I'm a born optimist. And... So one, the world is going to look different. Two, the world is going to look much more inclusive. Three, the world is going to have much less of a hierarchical structure as compared to what it has today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the nature of solving problems is beginning to change dramatically where teams come together, solve problem, then disband, then different teams come together in order to solve the next problem. And that's the way the world is going to be. That's the way organizations are going to be organized. I think there's a there's a theory that says that we have that says companies are going to be ecosystem where uh, every enterprise is going to have partnerships and relationships with a set of other enterprises, and each of us have pretty deep capabilities in some areas, teams that are deep in some areas, and we come together to add value. To our customers and to our customers' customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we see that happen today, but it's going to become more and more that way. Uh, if you think about the iPhone or you think about Uber, it's many technologies and many technologies that came together to solve a set of problems. I think more and more that's going to happen, which is why I go back to it's not about computers and maths. It's actually going to be about can teams work together? Mm-hmm. Can people work together uh, to make magic happen? Uh, yeah. Very cool. All work with machines and make man and machine work together. All right, very cool. So, Tiger, I th- thank thank you for this. I I, sh- I should go back into consulting. I can come, uh, I can come help uh, help build small teams really quickly. No, I think I think I think a bunch of people, John, like you, are needed <laughs> to educate the world. Uh, and and I would I would end by saying to change the narrative around AI and machine learning because one of the narratives that I think is out there is a narrative around pessimism. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I think it's important for the narrative to have an equal balance of optimism because just being pessimistic actually doesn't get you to a better world. Uh, it's the optimism combined with understanding uh, the problems that need to be solved. There's no question that a bunch of problems need to be solved. But, but I, sometimes I wonder if we, we, some of us are just getting too pessimistic. <laughs> Well, I hopefully not. I think uh, I think technology. All if you listen to every single episode of this podcast, it seems like technology is making things better, not worse. So we shall see. John, thank you. All right, thank you, Tiger. Start the conversation. All right, this has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. All right, perfect. Got it. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp. is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp. is always up to the challenge. 
Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Sectotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out. 